good to be with friends, and uh, we pray that you would be present among us. Would your spirit speak to us through your word tonight as we look at the story of Samson? God, we've heard it before. We've heard the story a bunch of times, but we pray that your spirit would be in it tonight, and that you would impart truth to our hearts, that we might walk out of here equipped to live lives of faith and obedience through Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, if you uh, haven't been here yet this semester, we're in a series called Epic Stories of the Old Testament. And so we're highlighting some of those classics. Maybe you heard them when you were a kid in Sunday school. Maybe you saw them on a little flannel graph and you haven't touched on them since you were capable of logical thoughts. And so tonight we're going to go to the story of Samson. And uh, I've really enjoyed preparing for this message. The story of Samson kind of blows my mind, but let me kind of give you a little bit of backstory here. So last week we were in the book of Joshua, and it tells the story of the people of Israel coming into Canaan, which was the promised land. And so the book of Joshua, a lot of really good things happen. They come into that promised land, they drive out some of the foreign nations, they're people who look to God in faith. Um, Though they certainly have their hiccups, the book ends on a high note. Joshua really ends on a high note. And the book that follows it, Judges, is much more of a roller coaster ride. I don't know if you've spent any time in the book of Judges, but it covers this 300-year span between when the people of Israel began to settle in Canaan and when the people of Israel received their first king, which was Saul. And so during that time, uh, this is about 100, or pardon me, 1000 BC when it began, Israel went through following um, cycles of what we know today as the Judges cycle. Maybe this is news to you, but here's the Judges cycle. It's super depressing. So the people of Israel forgot the Lord or rebelled against God. This, this was followed by judgment. Israel was oppressed because of their sin. And sometimes that oppression came through foreign nations uh, that God actually used as a way of drawing them to repentance. And so then they repented. Israel cried out to God for help. And God was faithful in delivering his people. He raised up the deliverer to rescue the people of Israel and bring them peace. And so what, what happens when things go our way? We become entitled. Man, this generation. Um, right there with you. When things go our way, we can be quick to forget the Lord and we rebel against him. And so that's the Judges cycle. We can pretty much know the book of Judges by subbing in different names for that part where it says, and the Lord provided someone to rescue them and bring peace. That's the Judges. The Judges were the heroes of this book. And so there weren't um, uh, there weren't kings in Israel at this time. There weren't ambassadors for God like we you know Moses was or Joshua was. Instead, it was the judges who led the nation of Israel at this time. And Samson, tonight's story, uh, who, on whom we're going to focus, was one of those judges. He's probably the most well-known judge. And he comes to the picture when the Israelites are at a really low point in that judges cycle. So here's where they're at. They've been under oppression by the Philistines for 40 years. As soon as I say the Philistines, everybody's like, oh, those Philistines. They're like the ultimate bad guys of the Old Testament. Who, who actually were the Philistines? You're about to learn something. The Philistines were originally from the island of Crete and the region of the Aegean Sea. In around 1300 BC, they swept across the Mediterranean region, kind of conquering all the land they could. And when they made it to Egypt, the Egyptians then defeated them, and they turned around and headed back north into Canaan and settled right there along the sea. And so the point in the book of Judges that we are tonight, Israel is under oppression by the Philistines as a result of their unfaith, their disobedience. God is judging them. He's bringing them to a repentance. 
as they cry out to them for rescue from the Philistines. And so, who would God send to rescue them from the, from the Philistines? He would send Samson. And so tonight we're going to look at his story. And Samson's birth is miraculous. His story begins in Judges 13 with an angel of the Lord coming to his mom, who is a sterile and barren woman. She has no children. This actually sounds a lot like the story of the angel coming to Mary. And so the angel appeared to Samson's mom, and she told the angel told her, you're going to have a son. Your son will be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was one who was set apart to special service to God by taking a series of vows that they lived out for their lifespan. And so those those Nazarite vows, they represented an individual's total commitment to God. And there were different vows for men and women. Listen to what the vows that a man would take would entail. So first off, it was abstaining from wine or anything else that comes from grapes, vinegar, fermented drinks, um, not cutting one's hair, and not going near a dead body, either animal or human. So those were the Nazarite vows. And so the angel tells this woman, your son will you'll live by these Nazarite vows, and he will be the one who will free the people of Israel from those Philistine oppressors. That's what God set him apart for. That's why God gave her this miraculous gift of her son. So she has a son, she names him Samson, which means son, spelled S-U-N, or brightness, which was an expression of her praise and God's favor shining upon her and having his son in her barren state. And so Samson's born, the text says, that he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. God equipped Samson to be a leader. He called him. He put a calling on Samson's life. He set him apart to be this deliverer for the people of Israel. And he empowered him with the spirit to carry out his will. And so if you know what that looked like in Samson's life, it was kind of this superhero-like freak strength. Uh, listen to some of these stories. In the four chapters of Judges that Samson story is told, he exhibits this strength from the Spirit in some pretty crazy ways, some amazing ways. Here's the first. Early on in his life, Samson was traveling with his parents, and they were attacked by a lion. And the text says that he tore that lion apart as a man tears apart a young goat. Now, I know all of you guys out there have torn apart young goats on many occasions, and I'm thinking that means it comes apart pretty easy. <laughs> Samson, the dude, was jacked. When the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson ripped a young goat, a lion apart like a young goat. Maybe he also ripped apart a young goat itself at some point. Here's another crazy one. In this instance, Samson struck down 30 Philistine men all by himself. Another time, he was being detained. He was bound up by new strong ropes, brand new ropes, holding him down. And he just straight up hawked out of these ropes. You know, his arm is right beside him. just like... God just busts out of these ropes and picks up a donkey's jawbone off the ground. Picked up a donkey's jawbone and killed a thousand men. He struck them down with a donkey's jawbone. And after that, here's what he did. He freestyles a rhyme. This is what Sam said. He goes, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. <laughs> and then he tosses the jawbone. Like, that's the first mic drop, guys. Samson invented the mic drop. That is literally Judges chapter 15, verse 16. What a great rhyme. And so following that event, Samson led the nation of Israel for about 20 years. And some other crazy feats of strength happened then. He ripped down the gates of the city of Gaza 
at one point, this Philistine city of Gaza, and he carried them on his shoulders to the top of a mountain that was 38 miles away. The gates of the city, he carried them 38 miles. And you probably know his most famous feat of strength. So he's in the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god, and he was tied up between the two central pillars that supported that building. It was no small temple. The text says that when there were 3,000 people in the temple, God gave Samson the strength to pull down those pillars. He pulled down the temple on top of himself, collapsing the building and killing everyone inside. That was Samson's sacrifice. His, his sacrifice single-handedly took down the Philistine Empire and their oppression over the people of Israel. Samson did it by pulling down those columns. What a freak act of strength. We hear those stories, we're like, man, can this even be true? It's absolutely insane. These stories of what God accomplished when his spirit rushed on Samson and gave him strength. He's a biblical superhero. Who are some of your favorite superheroes? Let me hear some of the ones, if any of, the, any of you shared one earlier. Anybody got a favorite superhero? Come on, somebody be brave. Start the party. The Hulk. The Hulk, yes, yes. Good one. Okay. Aquaman? Alright. <laughs> I don't know much about Aquaman, but I imagine he's cooler than I know he is. <laughs> well, everyone knows that the, the superheroes not only have freak strengths, but they have weaknesses, right? You're actually taking that pizza to the youth center at the back of the parking lot. Or maybe I should tell him he can actually just breathe. <laughs> it's not coming out of my butt. So we all know superheroes have weaknesses as well as strengths. And you all know Superman, his weakness was? Yes. But how about some more obscure superheroes? Green Lantern. Green Lantern had the most lame weakness of any superhero in history. His weakness was caused by, does anyone know? Yes. Oh, let me go back. Yes, his weakness was caused by the color yellow. Oh no, a yellow lamp, I should have known! What a terrible weakness. How about Thor? Look at Thor's weakness. If he let go of his hammer for more than 60 seconds, he lost his god status and turned back into a human whose name was Don Blake. Don Blake! What a terrible weakness. Guys, I don't get it. These superhero weaknesses, they're ridiculous. And Samson, what was Samson's weakness? Samson's weakness, maybe you want to say it was getting a haircut. It was getting a haircut. We all know that Samson lost his strength when the Philistines gave him a haircut because Delilah enabled them to do so. But what I want to say is that's just at first glance. I think Samson's weakness was a lot more than getting a haircut. I think getting that haircut was actually an expression of his true weakness, which was this unfaith and disobedience in the God who had given him his calling and given him his strength. And that weakness was manifest in Samson's character and his actions way before he got a haircut. And so the book of Judges, it tells us those stories of Samson's great strength. But listen, we've also got some incredible stories of Samson's massive weakness. Let's go through some of those. Remember the time when he tore apart a lion as if it were a young goat with his bare hands? So Samson was actually in a vineyard when that happened. Remember his Nazarite vow? Uh, probably not wise to avoid the temptation of eating grapes if you're hanging out in the vineyard. So he's traveling through a vineyard as he goes to marry a Philistine woman who all we know about her is that Samson thought she was pleasing to his eyes. 
And so Samson's traveling through a vineyard to marry a woman who he only is attracted to, only wants to marry her because he's attracted to her, in blatant contradiction to God's instructions not to intermarry with these idolatrous people. That's where Samson was going. Maybe he was asking for her when the lion went after her. And the lion he killed. Oh yeah, he goes back to that lion later in the book of Judges. Some bees had made a hide in it. And Samson scooped some honey out of his dead carcass and ate it, putting his taste for sweets before his obedience to God. That's what Samson did with the dead lion. And how about when he struck down 30 Philistines all by himself? Yeah, that was following a seven-day feast after his marriage to the Philistine woman. And in the Hebrew language, the word feast used here literally means drinking feast. A seven-day drinking feast happens in Indiana each April. It's called Little Fire. <laughs> so remember, Samson's Nazarite vows would have prohibited him from drinking any fermented drink. And so he struck down these 30 men. And he had good reason to do it. What was his good reason? He lost a bet. He made a rhyme. He made a riddle. And his new wife told these guys what it meant. So he lost a bet and owed them a large sum of property. So Samson went and struck down all 30 men from his wedding party. Not a classic move. Uh, how about the time he ripped down the gates of Gaza and carried them 38 miles? Why was Samson in Gaza in the first place? To spend the night with a prostitute. Not a good reason to be in Gaza. Samson picked up these gates in the middle of the night after he left this woman and carried them out as a way of taunting the Philistines and also to taunt a fellow group of Israelites who had previously expressed fear of the Philistines. That's why Samson carried them. And then you know the big one, the Temple of Dagon. How did Samson end up there? Well, Samson fell for another Philistine woman who was pleasing to his eyes, Delilah. And the, Philist the Philistines used her to capture him. She coaxed him into telling her the secret to his strength. It was his hair, which was symbolic of his Nazarite commitment to the God who called him and equipped him with that strength. The God who empowered him. And so the Philistines, they came to him one night while he was asleep. And when he awoke, he tried to summon that strength, but nothing was there. And here's the really sad thing. The text says that Samson was so unaware of God's presence that he didn't even know the Spirit of the Lord had left him. Didn't even know it. And so the Philistines, they gouged out his eyes and him. And when they were offering a sacrifice to their god Dagon, they brought Samson into the temple to entertain them. That's how he ended up in the temple of Dagon. And so that's where God empowered him to liberate the people of Israel from Philistine oppression. And so Samson, man, the guy's got some stories. The Lord accomplished some amazing feats through him. When his spirit came upon him, he used him to deliver the people of Israel. But this guy made an absolute wreck of his life because of his disobedience and his unfaith. And so I want to conclude with a few big picture takeaways. And first, I'm going to give you a few from the book of Judges, and then a few from Samson's life. And so first off, let's think about that Judges cycle. Think about what the people of Israel went through. They were unfaithful to God over and over again for a 300 year span of time. They didn't learn from their mistakes. They kept going and repeating their unfaith and their disobedience. But what happened? God continued to be faithful to them. And he used those times of judgment for their good to turn them back to him. And those times of judgment, they were incredibly difficult for the people of Israel to go through being oppressed by foreign nations. But God used that discipline 
in their lives to convict them of their sin and make them aware of their need for God, their Savior, their provider. And discipline, it always hurts, doesn't it? Discipline always hurts. But the Bible is really clear in teaching that God disciplines those whom He loves. Isn't it crazy for us to think about that? Oftentimes when I experience discipline in my life, where things are clearly not going my way, I think, God, man, this can't be in your plan. Get me out of here. Get me out of here, God, because my circumstances have to change. God disciplines those He loves. Listen to how the book of Hebrews talks about what this looks like in the Christian life. I'm going to read this for you from Hebrews chapter 12. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one He loves and He chastens everyone He accepts as His son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as though as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God disciplines us through circumstances, through experiences, through challenges in our life. Out of His love for us as His own children, He uses them for our ultimate good. By God's grace in Christ, we're adopted into His family and He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He loves us enough that He wants to make us look like Him. He wants us to resemble who our Father is. He wants us to exhibit His character and He uses discipline in our lives so that we will look like a part of the family we belong to. We'll look more like Christ. And so discipline hurts. It hurts. But it's for our ultimate good. That's why God uses it in our lives. To make us more like Him. So when you experience discipline in your own life, don't lose heart. God has not abandoned you. He's shaping you to become more like Him because of His great love for you. Last, let's think about Samson's life. Think about this man who God called to accomplish His purposes. And God, He really brought His purposes to fulfillment through Samson. He accomplished the deliverance of the people of Israel through Samson. <clears throat> Nonetheless, Samson made an absolute mess of his life. And he is hardly an example for us to follow. Except for the fact that in the end, Samson repented, and he looked back to God and said, God, give me strength one more time for your glory to deliver the people of Israel. That's what we can admire in Samson. That's pretty much where, where it ends in terms of admirable qualities for Samson. And his story, it gives us a tough reality. Here's what it is. We had better not assume that we are right with God personally, all because he's called us, and all because he's using us to accomplish his purposes. Samson accomplished some amazing things as a leader and deliverer of Israel. He accomplished some amazing things when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But I think that Samson missed out on the absolute greatest thing, and that is this, living life in right 
relationship with God. Samson missed out on that because he chose to follow his own way much of the time. And so, like Samson, God may well use us in spite of our sin. And I think God will often bless us in spite of our sin, beyond what we deserve. Man, that's the story of all our lives, isn't it? God blesses us beyond what we deserve in spite of our sin, and He will use us in spite of our sin. But God wants a whole lot more for us than for things to just go our way. He wants a whole lot more for us than to just accomplish a divine to-do list of tasks He's set aside for our lives. We can spare ourselves so much pain if we will follow God in faith, if we'll be obedient to His ways that He's shown us how to live in right relationship with Him. When we live as people who repent of our sin, who admit our errors, our need for grace, and we turn back to Him, living dependent on God, we can spare ourselves a whole lot of pain when we live like that. And so how are we doing with that? I've got to be honest. My answer to that question often isn't what I would like it to be. If I think about the prayers that I pray on a daily basis, more often than not, they're about God blessing me and me accomplishing the things that I feel God has sent me to do. And I think those, those are very appropriate prayers. But I think it would do me a whole lot more good to come to God and say, God, it's all about your grace, which I am completely in need of. Forgive me of my sin, God, and use me for your glory. This isn't about my agenda. Make me about your agenda, God, because you're the creator of this universe. You alone are good. You alone are wise. Have your way in me. And so how are we doing with that? Let me ask you a few questions that will kind of provide you with a litmus test. Do you desire a relationship with God, or do you primarily desire God's blessings? Do you want God, or do you want the blessings that he's able to give? Do you desire the experience of living life in relationship with him? Or do you, do you feel more of a desire to just accomplish the things that you feel like he's wired you to do? Do you desire God himself or do you just desire his blessings? Do you just want to accomplish that to-do list of things that really get you fired up? I think that God has created us all uniquely. I think God has made you the way you are. He's gifted you by your spirit for a reason. He's only made you once. And you're only going to live once. But you're going to live forever. And so... When you trust Jesus Christ in faith, His Spirit works inside of you. You can commit yourself to something that will be of eternal value when you make it about God. And the Holy Spirit works in you and through you for God's glory. Let's make ourselves about that. If we're going to be about God's glory rather than our own, we have got to take a step back. Not just once, but every single day and refocus our hearts on God. We've got to be people who are marked by repentance and faith in every area of our lives, every day of our life, because we are so quick to make it about us, aren't we? Just like Samson, we can be so quick to follow our own way. So let me ask you, tonight, how is God leading you to trust Him with your whole heart? How is He leading you to trust Him with your heart and to reflect that trust in Him in the way that you live? He's made a way for us to be in right relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And He desires our complete devotion, our heart, our actions, our minds. He wants it all. And so, we are able to experience life the best way it can be lived when we commit ourselves to being people of faith and people of obedience who seek to live God's way for God's glory. Why don't we pray together now that God would speak to our hearts, that He would open our eyes to see what that means for us to be people of obedience, people who commit 
to following Christ in repentance and faith, admitting our need, looking to His provision in Christ, and relying on the Spirit to fulfill those callings that He's given us. Let's do that now together. God, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, we come to a book like Judges that maybe we haven't opened for years. Maybe it sometimes even seems like it might not, might not have much for us today. But God, your word is so powerful. Like the people of Israel, we find ourselves just living in a cycle, God, of brokenness. Where we're people of unfaith, we're people of sin. And we also thank you that just like those people of Israel, even though we're going to screw up again, you're always going to be faithful to us beyond what we deserve. Because God, you are gracious. And we give you all the praise because... Grace is the name written over our records because of Jesus Christ, your Son, who you sent to die on the cross on our behalf, God, that we might be invited into your family now and forever. And so we pray that you would just do a work in our hearts, God, to help us be people who are quick to admit our need. We've got nothing to hide, God. We're saved because we admit that we're broken. Your grace makes us who we are. So would you humble us whatever that takes, that we would be desperate enough to cry out to you for help, God. That we might live every day as people dependent on your spirit to live out the callings you've given us, God. But as we do it all in right relationship with you, seeking your will and your glory first. In 